the Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Whitetail Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Patrick Johnson, Ed Willis, while Ben Kuzma makes his way through his travel dilemmas in the snow from Montreal to Ottawa. Uh, I will start off by saying this podcast is brought to you by Key West Ford. KeyWestFord.com, BC's largest selection of Mustangs and also trucks. If you're interested, they're good with that. KeyWestFord.com. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to talk a little bit of the Canucks road trip. We'll talk about the goaltending situation with Scoop Johnson over there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit Quinn Hughes, Tyler Toffoli, and of course, our anniversary series. So without further ado, um, game in Montreal, down to nothing. Uh, even though you, I wouldn't say you'd fault Demko coming on the heels of, oh, their, their MVP goalie is out for the rest of the regular season, perhaps. Um, it looked like the roof was caving in and the Canucks did what I've not expected to them to do all season, which was bounce back and look pretty good in doing it. Yeah, well, it, it comes down to, you know, they'll always, and I think we talked about this on one of our fabulous white towel videos. They will always talk about resiliency and character and grit and determination. The biggest difference with this team is they can score goals. And that will mask a multitude of sins. And, you know, any one of the last four years, they get down 2 nothing on the road. You may as well end the game at that point. But they stick with it. They stick with it. It breeds a certain level of confidence when you've got 620 goal scorers in the lineup. And I was just scratching them all out. And basically, that's what they have now when you've got a power play, uh, when you can score from different places in your lineup too. You're just not counting on two or three guys. It just makes the world a difference. I, to me, it's that simple with this team. That's the biggest difference. And the, the big counterpoint is right in front of them is the Arizona Coyotes, a team that we thought I think was going to do just enough, you know, play strong defense. It's why they added Taylor Hall. They couldn't score enough. They haven't scored enough, and it's all falling apart for that team. You look, I mean, as Ed mentioned, you look at the Canucks from the last couple of years, they couldn't do that. And you know what? Thank goodness they've got, they've had a very good goalie. Well, they have, but you know, I think Ed's point of, of being able to score goals as, I mean, this has been a dream scenario for Jim Benning and that you've got guys like Miller pitching in. You got the new guy, Toffoli pitching in. You've got Jake Vertanen pitching in. You look at, you know, the 9-3 pasting of Boston. It's mm-hmm. not, this isn't all focused on Pedersen. And if before the season, if you'd drawn out this scenario as to where they are and you said, yeah, but they're going to lose Brock Besser for the end of the year, you'd be chicken littling it, wouldn't you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. And, you know, and, and again, you know, the, 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 the Toffoli acquisition, I think we're probably going to get into it a li- yeah. little deeper later on. There's so many levels to it. But when was the last time the Canucks are like with the big game hunter at the trade deadline, the ones that kind of shaped the market, the ones that were aggressive and went out and got, you know, that big piece that a lot of teams were after? I mean, it comes down to the end of the season. Let's just say Vancouver makes the playoffs and Calgary doesn't. It could be because they were the ones that went out and got Toffoli. Yeah. Calgary didn't want to pay the price. And the price at the time did seem steep. I think it gave a lot of people pause. When you saw the prices that were being paid at the deadline, all of a sudden that seemed a lot more reasonable. It it was he was I suppose the if not the number one forward available among the top in the forwards. conversation, <laughs> sure. Certainly, yeah. right? Yeah. And you look at what other teams I mean Vincent Trochak probably another big scoop up for the, the Hurricanes and I think the Hurricanes in the big picture are the big winners having added him and then a couple top end defensemen. Um but yeah, I mean, Toffoli was, <laughs> Toffoli was a big move. Now, it's, it's interesting to me because last week when we, when 
they added him, I asked Jim, Jim, would you have made this trade without the injuries? He said no. And then on Monday, I think he got asked a similar question and kind of answered slightly differently saying, yeah, I think try to say, well, look how well it's gone. So of course, of course I was trying to make all these deals, but in the end, Toffoli makes their team better if Besser's back. And I noticed Besser was skating with kids from, uh, Children's Hospital at Rogers Arena the other day looking like, you know, he, I mean, he pushed a kid in a wheelchair. So, you know, obviously feeling okay. Um, maybe he isn't out for that long. And certainly if he's able to come back sooner rather than later, all of a sudden, yeah, they're, they are a lot deeper up front than they were, uh, two weeks ago. I wanted to, I asked that about this in one of our videos as well. Uh, Quinn Hughes, um, remarkable numbers. Are you surprised, Patrick, that he is where he is? It's amazing. I mean, I thought we, I thought he was going to be good. I think everybody sort of thought he'd be good, but he's the number one defenseman on this team. You know, he's not killing penalties, but if it's five on five and they need something to happen, he's on the ice. And that's been one of the more impressive things about him is just the level of trust because he's so good with the puck and he's makes so many good decisions. We've seen him make mistakes. That's going to happen, but he's been so good with the puck and, and just, it's that ability to sort of turn on a dime, the button hook he does out by the blue line and just, doesn't care and it was uh i was talking to jt miller about this the other day and he sort of said you know it's it's what the way he puts himself into people when he has the puck that surprised him because he's just a little guy but he's a player that under clearly i think understands you know sort of things like center of gravity and the taller player is going to have a higher center of gravity and he can kind of get under that and make it harder for people to defend you it's it's so impressive to watch a player who has such an innate understanding of his sort of physical tools his physical abilities and he does it every night and he's just getting better I, I don't know about you, but I, I can almost set my watch uh, by this. Once every two weeks, I'll get an email from a, a fan, and the fact that it's an email might tell you something about the demographic here. But he, and it'll say, yeah, but you know, Hughes is a liability in his own end. Yeah, but uh, what are you watching? Are you kidding me? You know, the the Canucks finally get this one thing they haven't had in fifty years, and 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 yeah, it does show up. It. The odd, odd time, but it's, you know, that, that's like, that, that's like this, like, like, like little kernel over here. See what I'm doing here? I'm yeah, providing and, visuals and, on, and, on a podcast. That's and, really good, like isn't making, it? So like a very <laughs> small, a very gesture small thing hand, versus yeah. a very big thing <laughs> over here. No, it's amazing. Like, like, like Patrick, what, what did you, I, I thought, boy, if they get 35 points yeah. out of this guy, that's a hell of a season. Yeah. You know, maybe he gets on the second power play and things like that. He's just, he's just changed so many things for this franchise and and he just turned 20 this is just the start it's uh, i think he's going he's just such a smart kid and he, he gets everything he gets the hockey environment he gets where he needs to go i just think he's his game is going to become a little more well-rounded a little more refined as as, as it evolves and uh, I, I think we're talking. I know this is crazy. I think we're talking about the best defenseman in Canucks history. Well, and you look at the like the Paul, you tweeted it at me, but the list of comparable rookie defensemen on the well, point totals. Was a reason why I tweeted at you? <laughs> no, I know, but but it's it is it is a fun list, and you think about both the names on the list and the context for when they were playing versus when Quinn yeah, Hughes is yeah. playing now. And he's you know this is a season up there with Potvin, Bork, Leach, Housley, Murphy, Talon. You know, guys they that all watch. played, you know, 30, 40 years ago in an Barry era. Barry Beck's on that list, too. Yeah, Barry Beck. <laughs> you know, Local but, content. you know, you, guy, guys that played in the 70s and into the 80s, an era that was, you know, I think on the whole less focused defensively. And you look at 
how he's performing in an era that is intensely focused on defense and he's putting up the points. It is a remarkable rookie season, something that I think we are going to be talking about for a very, very long time. And not just last night, we've seen it a little bit, but last night in particular, the Canadians seemed to target him physically. Um, I'm not comparing him to Wayne Gretzky at all, but there was this big thing. I remember when Gretzky was really bursting out and, you know, the old school hockey heads were like, just hit him, just lay the physical element down on him. You know, and Quinn's Hughes took a couple of shots as he has all season, but you can't get him. That's, that's the comparison to Gretzky is like he avoids contact. He's not the Chris Tanev being stapled to the boards every time he has the puck. Um, how is he set up to handle, do you think, into the playoffs where it does get turned up physically? Well, yeah, I, I think there will be an adjustment period, but, but again, I just go back to the way he assimilates information and, and, and uses it to his advantage. And, you know, to Patrick's point, he just understands the physics of the game. So is that physics? I think it's physics. It is. <laughs> the physics of the game so well and, you know, and, and leverage and body position and all those things. Uh, and I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was who said it and, it, but somebody was asking a small player about what it's like to be a small player. And he said, well, I've been a small player all my life. It's the only thing I know. And, and I think that reminds me of the Doug Williams question in <laughs> the Super Bowl, Ed. <laughs> well, I want to say it was Theo Fleury. That's what I want to say again. But, but, so, so, you know, Hughes has been that player all his life and he's had to learn to adapt and he's all obviously played at a high, high, high level since he was 12, 13, 14 years old. So every step along the way, again, you know, he's kind of accumulated the information. This is what I need to do. This I can't. I can go here, but I can't go there. I can do this, but I can't do that. So yeah, it will be interesting. And I thought, you know, early on, you know, he, he took a couple of hits. Patterson's kind of going through the same thing. It's part of the process. I, I, nice segue. I wanted to ask both of you, but Patrick, we'll start with you about, it was around this time last year that we saw Patterson kind of start to hit the wall. Um, what do you expect down the stretch from Quinn Hughes? This is his first full season and Patterson, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say there are demands on his game, certainly. Um, but it doesn't, he's not showing the same signs of fatigue and frustration that perhaps we saw last year. The Hughes thing is interesting. Uh, they're clearly being conscious to manage his minutes whenever they can. You look at the Boston game and he only played 17 minutes. I mean, it helped, you know, the fact they were scoring a ton, the things, things were going so well, they didn't need to chase the game. Uh, that, that was totally by design. That was a chance to give the kid a break because he's been playing so much and he's going to be playing a lot. Uh, everything says that he's going to keep playing the way he's been playing. Uh, so I, I, I'm not, you know, even though you're, you're right, this is going to now going to be the longest season he's ever had. I'm not so worried about him. Pedersen, I, I think Pedersen's going to be fine. I think he might be dealing with something. I mean, we remember the Greslick hit, you know, he had to sit out a game after that. I'm sh- have no doubt he's probably feeling a little stiff in his lower back still from that, whatever it was. Um, his line scoring, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, Miller just continues to be a force. Toffoli has scored since arriving, uh, and not none of them have been terribly fluke goals. This is a guy that knows how to find the net. I, I'm not I'm not terribly worried. In fact, the way Toffoli has come in he's such an impressive player he's a you know you can again see why he's a player that Jim Benny would like he's got some size to him you know he's a big strong guy he knows where the net is he goes to the net he's a classic you know Daryl Sutter kind of player um and the Canucks seem to love those kinds of guys now I I think he's a guy that's also as well because he's a real threat in the long run if he stays with 
Pedersen, he's going to open up space again for Pedersen. And Pedersen, not that he's had any trouble finding space, but I think, yeah, I, I think maybe he's dealing with something. But in the end, in the long run, I'm not, I'm not sweating it like I was last year. That's a big part of the way this, I would suggest even with Pedersen's mindset in terms of adjusting to the grind in this year, Ed, is that he doesn't have to carry it all himself. Oh, I, I think that's the, that, that's the big point. I, I read somewhere, I wasn't even aware of this, which says something. I think Pedersen has something along the lines of three goals in his last 15 games, which is about the point last year. And remember, people were pulling their hair out last year. Well, you know, he's, you know, he's hit a wall. He physically isn't able to handle the grind, all these things. Well, nobody's really noticed because everybody else around him is scoring. It's not like they rely on him. So he can do his thing on the power play, and he's still got, I mean, to me, the the thing I like best about his game is the 200-foot aspect. He competes hard in the defensive end. He doesn't cheat on the offensive end. And uh, they're continuing to score goals. I mean, JT Miller's just been such a revelation for me this season for what he is and and Toffoli looks like a right-handed version of Miller he's just you know a gritty two-way player who uh who's got enough skill and not not high-end skill but certainly enough skill um yeah just what the doctor ordered again Ed you're making this look as if I scripted this out and we've we're all organized and we know what we're talking about instead of just swinging it but I did want to ask both of you about this start with you though Ed um when Miller was brought in on that trade, aside from everyone arguing about what the price was paid and whether they had to pay that much, I kind of wondered about the mindset of a guy who was on a president's trophy winning team in Tampa Bay, uh, seemed like, you know, it was the ideal place to be. And now he's coming to Vancouver, nowhere near the playoffs in the last five years to Foley. Okay. LA was not good. They're clearly in a rebuilding phase, but there's all this talk. His wife works in the movie industry. He won't, he won't resign here. Everything else. You're talking about two guys who have come to Vancouver and couldn't look happier to be here. Like, is this now once again, as we revisit the the late 2000s, a, a, a great place to for a hockey player to be? Well, isn't it an interesting one for me? The default for the Toffoli trade to really work for this organization, they have to sign him. And when you think of what he represents, again, he's basically J.T. Miller. He's 27 years old. They're going to have to pay a premium to sign him. But you look at Miller's number. Is that going to get it done? I, I, I don't know. What do you think, Patrick? Is five, five and a half going to get it done for Toffoli? It's something like that. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's in the ballpark. Yeah. But, yeah, it just Miller, again, and, and, and I, I want to go back to this because I remember when the trade was made, made I tweeted out something along the lines of, and there's no shitstorm like a Twitter shitstorm, but I tweeted out something along the lines of Jim Benning seems to be making a point of right to accumulate as many average forwards as he can. And when you look at Miller's season in Tampa last year, that's what he was. He was an average, he was kind of a third-line guy who might be able to move up the lineup, and the Canucks already had half a dozen of those guys. Now, if you knew you were going to get this, like, point-a-game offensive driver, leader, physical guy who's going to take so much pressure off so many players, you would have paid twice what the Canucks paid for. But, you know, full credit to him. He's stepped up in here. He's been given this role, and he's embraced it. Patrick, you, again, like, you're in that room every day. This, I mean, there's, I think there's something... I don't want to. I don't want to say they're like the 2010, 2011 group that started to form into a real contender, but you sort of see this closeness amongst them. And I know there was all this talk about Toffoli and Pearson are tight. Uh, Miller just seems so happy. Everyone's talked about that. No one's even really talked about Tyler Myers this year to the point that he's fit in well. We know that the young players seem really like. 
is this, has this group got the chemistry? I mean, it's easy to throw players together, but as I said, people are happy to be here. This group looks like they like each other. Yeah, it, not, I think that's a nice thing. That's a helpful thing for a coach. I mean, there are examples in the past, like, I don't know, the 2003 Vancouver Canucks, if you want groups that maybe didn't get along so well but still achieved anyway. I think but, we only have to look to the John Tortorella <laughs> era to maybe look at things a little bit closer. Right. Chemistry is a nice thing. It's good to have. It helps. It certainly helps the coach that he doesn't have to think as much about that kind of thing. Um, at the end of the day, he knows these guys are professionals. They come in, they work hard, and, and they get it. These guys are pushing each other. And it is that thing where you hear the sort of legacy of the Sedins about how important their sort of get down to work attitude was and remains the case. And we go back to the Kevin Bieksa speech at, at, um, at, at the retirement night was that you know that their spirit lives on in some of these guys that he's met and and it's been a it's it, it, it is a thing i think for this team that is absolutely it's not a thing they have to worry about can we make a change here or there can we juggle a guy here or there um it does from the outside seem to be a pretty good group certainly the guys that are the top players on this team are guys that are instinctual leaders and are guys that are you know used to sort of leading the charge and have that um instinctual mentality in terms of in terms of what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, that kind of thing. Case okay, Scoop Johnson, let's get into this. Uh, <laughs> Markstrom out right. uh, with a meniscus. Um, look, we've been talking all season about how what an at an MVP level uh, Markstrom's been playing out. How big a loss is it? It's it's as bad as could be. I mean, Thatcher Demko has lots of potential. We've seen. Good things from him. Um, I think we've also seen areas of his game that definitely need improvement. He hasn't been a guy that necessarily, I mean, I think he's stolen a couple of games this year, but not to the level that Markstrom has. You know, you think about it, especially that run after Christmas when they won all those games and a bunch of them they had no business winning and it was entirely because of Jacob Markstrom. So yeah, he's been their MVP. You know, they're nowhere without him. Uh, you know, depending on what metrics you want to look at, there's a whole different ways to judge it. But I mean, everything says he's been as good as our eyeballs tell us he's been. And replacing him is a big task for Thatcher Demko. Ed? Yeah, well, I think it's expectations if you're expecting him to supply that Markstrom level. And, and, and there are, as what Patrick says about metrics, there are a ton of metrics that suggest Markstrom's been the best goalie in the NHL this season. Um, so if you're expecting that, you're probably going to be disappointed. But I, I still think he's capable of providing a professional level of goaltending. You look at his save percentage now, it's about 905, 906. If he keeps it there, the Canucks will probably win the, enough games down the stretch to get into the playoffs. If he falls, if he slumps, then they've got a problem. But, you know, he's kind of been born for this. And, you know, he was drafted in the second round. He was brought along. Had a couple of standout seasons in Utica. He had like sort of, you know, what, three quarters of a season last year as the backup. He's been part of the team all this year. He's been working with Ian Clark all along. There is nothing to suggest that the bottom's going to fall out for this kid. So I, I expect him to kind of still provide that same level of goaltending he's provided this year. Okay, so um, let's just say that he it's, – it's one thing as well, let's be honest, to come in and, and play every couple of weeks and then yep. either to be the guy and get lots of games and get in a rhythm. Let's say that he really does shine and uh, the Canucks don't see much of a drop-off in terms of their record or – uh, while Markstrom's out, does that change their thinking about the summer? Is it, is it the Matt Murray situation? Exactly. You know, I, yeah, yeah, I, I think it has to. 
I, I think it has so to. So you think if he's if he's like really strong now down the stretch and is like, wow, he's playing great, you you let Markstrom walk? That's that's. <laughs> It makes you think about well, it. Finan- I think financially, it makes, it's no, a it, huge no, absolutely, for the it does. No, absolutely, it does. It certainly makes you reassess things. We've talked about it on this podcast before about what teams are willing to invest in goaltending, and there is a model out there, and it's provided by Pittsburgh, by Columbus. There's a couple of other teams who just decided Philadelphia. They finally they just said, "Screw it, we're going to go with the young guy. We're going to pay him next to nothing." And we and we think our team is good enough that we can win around him while he develops into a number one goalie. And that model is certainly available to the Canucks. And you when you're talking about they're probably going to be saving in the neighborhood of six million a year if Markstrom does go. They've got they've got Demko on another year at nothing. That that that's out there now. That is so risky for a yep. team. That- that's kind of finally taken this step forward. And the biggest reason is the guy you're going to get walk. I'm just saying that scenario is out there and you can make a case that maybe it applies. And that's why these next, they're though as interesting as they are on so many levels for the Canucks. It's really interesting on that level. Marty Murray. Mar- Matt well, Murray. Matt I mean, Murray. yeah, I mean, Marty Murray. Col- Col- Murray. Columbus is an interesting one because of course you look at Bobrovsky and um, look what's happened in Florida. I mean, that's, that's the other argument. I, I would suggest, Patrick, that that's maybe the bigger concern there is what the Canucks have tied up in the cap. So then yeah. it becomes an issue rather than, you know, saying, well, you no, know, they should let Markstrom walk because they'll be okay. It just becomes about their cap management at that point. Uh, well, I think it also, it's sort of a bigger question about how do you balance the goaltender versus the reality of your defense, which is that it's not a very good defensive defense, if you know what I mean. And you're, your sort of key cogs there right now remain, well, Quinn Hughes obviously because he just never has to play defense because he's so good at moving the puck up the ice. But, but, you know, the likes of Alex Edler who remains a really effective player. He's not, I mean, he was never the fleetest of foot to begin with, but he's not very fast anymore anyway. Um, still makes smart plays on the puck, but defensively, uh, you know, is, is not going to get any better. Uh, you know, and, and I have to be honest, Chris Tanev, who has been such a rock for so long, uh, but again, another guy where the skating is falling off and you worry how quickly that's going to happen. I mean, he's having his healthiest season ever, touch wood. Um, and so you sit there and go, he's a guy that needs a contract. You know, what's more important, him or Jacob Markstrom? And I think the choice, if you're picking actually between those two, I think you actually pick Markstrom because Markstrom's been good. You have every reason to think he's going to be good for another couple seasons. Uh, you know, I think, Ed, you touched on some numbers last week on on where his contract's at. But it's also that question of term. How long are you going to keep him around? And I think that, to me, there's almost a case where you say, well, you keep Markstrom and you just let Tanev walk. Like, I mean, I would have, I, I, there was a huge case to be made still to trade him. They didn't, I didn't think they ever were going to. But at this point, you have to sort of say, where are we going to be going with this? Who is going to be the best fit with Quinn Hughes next year? You know, I, I would actually love to, I would love to see Tyler Myers with him. I think you make them a great puck moving duo. Myers is not a, a Again, another guy that's not great in his own end, but if you're playing with Quinn Hughes, you're never playing in your own end, so what's the big deal? Myers has great offensive instincts. I think that's when maybe you can swap that one out, and then you start looking at what you're going to do in the rest of your roster. 
Okay, well, both you guys will finish up with before we get into some anniversary talk, but with the current team, what's your sense of how they're going to finish the season here? And where did they go? I, I think it's unless, as Ed said, unless the goaltending completely crashes, right. I think it's a safe assumption that they're going to get into the playoffs. Yeah. It's just whether, you know, they'll be first in the Pacific or there'll be a wild card or who the matchup is. What's your sense of how they're going to finish and where they'll be? Well, you, you mentioned, mentioned them earlier, Calgary, who actually didn't end up. I mean, they added a couple defensemen. They needed more defensemen. Um, but I'm still not convinced with their goaltending. I'm still not, they just, they, they just don't, you talk about a team that doesn't seem to actually be all that happy in the room. That seems like that team. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the Oilers, the Oilers, I mean, what a, what a job at, uh, Dave Tibbetts done as a coach, Ken Hall and actually shoring up, finding some really interesting gambles. I think, I think he did a great job on Monday adding, um, adding Mike Green on defense, adding, adding a couple very interesting kind of depth forwards. I think the Oilers have really solidified things. Um, I think, you know, the Canucks are definitely in the mix with them. The Flames, I think, are going to be the fourth wheel there, and it's about the Flames trying to sneak into sort of a wild card spot. Uh, they've done so much work the Canucks have this season getting to this point, you know, playing you know, above 500 hockey, whatever that means now, but doing everything they needed to do to get them this far, to deal with the what if. What if we have a problem? What if we don't win as much as we have in the past? And I think They've done enough. They're going to be fine, as we saw in the end. Montreal was not an amazing performance, but they did enough to win. And at this point, that's all they need to do. Yeah, I, I think they make the playoffs. I just wanted to, to, to sort of dovetail something we were talking about five, ten minutes ago. Uh, and it, <laughs> so it's a way it's, of it's saying way. that we're talking too much, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd never say that. Uh, but but it, it, it's the way this offseason is sh- shaping up, and, and we're really going to find something out about Benning as a g- general manager yeah. here. Because now he's got – like he's been able to accumulate and all that and really hasn't had to worry a ton about the uh, payroll, which is really good because he's got some terrible contracts there but now all of a sudden he's got to really he's got to make some hard choices he's got to you know do some finessing he's got to do it's going to be really interesting to watch what he comes out with at the end of this season I'll I'll just say what I'm really looking forward to and this has been a season of anniversaries and ceremonies and everything else all season long it's been we need to play meaningful games in March hey this time next week it's March I'm expecting a banner (laughs) we played meaningful games in March let's have a ceremony come on why not we've done one for everyone else um, while we're on that subject, it's not Sadine's week. Uh, thank God. Love the Sadines, but little Sadines out after, uh, everything that we went through. Uh, but I, as we continue our anniversary series brought to you by keybus4.com, um, it, to go back and read the stories of the mid 2000s. And of course, we had some amazing stuff last week on, on the death of, of Luke Bourdon and, and Ed, I know you had some, some great insight there and also, you know, the, in hindsight, what he meant to heart and soul guys like Alex Burroughs. We had Jason's original piece on the matter. But then into the emergence of the Elan Vigneault team and, you know, the chance he could have been fired and Luongo's shutout streak and home winning streaks and the emergence of the Sedins stepping up of BX and Kessler and, and, and Burroughs. And you kind of, to me, I forgot so much of it. You just put everything in like, yeah, wasn't that a great team that went to the finals and won the president's trophy twice? But it really was a fascinating era, those last like four years of the decade. Well, so 0809 is Gillis's first year as a general correct. manager, correct? And, and, and this is, I, you know, there should be a book written on the Matt Sundin signing because 100%. it was, it was such a fascinating time and, and, and so many parts to it. But, but the, so the 0910 team comes out of that and, and, 
the original intent was to have Sandine around for two years, pay him a whack load of money and kind of build around him with Henrik as this second line center. And it didn't obviously didn't work out that way. But but for Henrik to step out from that shadow from 0809 to the point where he wins the Art Ross and the Hart Trophy the next year, uh, just an amazing development. Everybody had seen he was like a, turned into a very good player, basically a point of game guy. Uh, but I don't think anybody saw the Hart Trophy winner or the Art, Tro- Art Ross Trophy winner heading into that season. I'm, I'm, I stick with, I think I mentioned it before, but, you know, something Marcus Naslin told me when we talked about the Sedins, you know, his point really was that I, I, he didn't, we didn't talk directly about why he left and how he had to leave, but, you know, that the, 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 the Sedin twins that he was, he saw as he left were very good players. And he's like, they would have had, they would have carried on, they would have had long careers, they would have been these very good players. And he said, but, in the end, we now know that in them, they knew they had so much more. And it's a credit to them for making that happen because he said that was all about hard work. And then the Sundin thing is fascinating because that was, that was something I was kicking myself a little bit because as I sort of realized, wait, you know, I mean, the framing of the story was let's talk about this home winning streak from 0809, but there's so much more going on. And as I sort of, cause I, it was one of those ones, you're, you're coming out of Sedine week, you know, I'd been on the road. I was, I didn't really have my head around. It. And then when the last couple of these, when I finally started getting my head around, what is the story I'm actually doing? I said, wait a second. There's a, there's a Sundin aspect to it. There's this Kessler. This is the emergence of Kessler. This is who the player he becomes. Um, and it sort of as like, oh, this is how, you know, how it all happens. And so, you know, I tried to see maybe if there's a way to get a hold of Sundin at the last minute, couldn't get a hold of him, realized in hindsight, these were things I should have asked Kessler when he was here. Uh, by the way, had a very curious response. If you want to know about the realities of retirement in the NHL, well, Anaheim Ducks PR says, oh, I don't know how to go to hold of Ryan Kessler, even though he's on their roster listed as a player. He's moved to Michigan. Anyway. So what you're saying is don't go through the Panthers if you want to get Luongo. <laughs> uh, but in the end, like, you know, Ryan Kessler would have been great. I mean, anyway, so I was very pleased that I was able to talk to Mike Gillis, who took – you're right. The Sundin thing would be an incredible, incredible story because it's such a – it was such a clear choice in hindsight. I mean, maybe you understood at the time, Ed, because you were dealing with it. I didn't really think – I'd never thought about what it all meant why they walked away from, I mean, the Linden, why they walked away from Linden's obvious, but why they walked away from uh, from Naslin, who had been the captain for so long. I mean, it was a real shift in direction of the team, and and there's sort of this realization, as you know, Gillis tells me in the story, that Kessler was a guy who could actually be so much more. He wasn't just this miscreant who was just a third line checking forward. He was a guy that needed to be empowered and pushed and pushed. And that playing him with Sundin and Pavel Dimitra just took him to a level that he had never really been almost offered before. And he made it happen. And as you said, I mean, 0-9-10 happens and then they run, you know, they almost do it in 2011, two years later. Yeah, that was one of the fun things going back and looking at the original reporting of that win streak, the home win streak 11 games was was the emergence of Kessler and Burroughs yeah. as offensive players. Yeah. Um, but just to ask you both, and in particular you, Ed, because, you know, you've been at this longer than Patrick, but... We know the Sedin twins are unique because of their twins and their relationship and everything else. But can you think of another player that emerged as like an elite Hart Trophy winning player like nine, ten seasons in? Wow. Like when when you yeah. look now, the I know it probably wouldn't happen now because of the impatience of the league and the fans and everything else. But when you think of how we started this decade series when they were drafted and really that they didn't emerge until like 2008, 9, 10 – 
I can't think of another player who took so long to get to that high well, level. Well, it's funny sitting here. Taylor Hall kind of caught, pops to mind. Mm-hmm. He'd, he'd been in the league, and I know he was a younger player when he started. Uh, but he'd been in the league for a while. But I think I think history will tell us that season was, was going to be one of the great one-offs in, in NHL history. Um, probably not. I, yeah, I can think of players who kind of like took a step forward, maybe even a great leap forward. But like I, I think we were saying in, a, in a, an earlier video w- with the Sedins, the thing that's amazing about me is just the way – I'm going to get time lapse photography right this time too. How, how they how they started in each step along the way, the the, the improvement was incremental. It, it wasn't astonishing. It was just kind of they went from uh, rookie players who were okay but struggled a bit to guys who looked like they were going to be really good support level players to point of game players. And you think that's okay? That's probably what they're going to be. They're going to top out there at you know seventy to eighty point players. And then they take the the next leap, which is the hardest one of all, to go from that to winning trophies, to being recognized as amongst the best players of the game. But it was all kind of seemed so natural. There wasn't like a big dramatic cataclysmic moment where you go, "Wow!" It just like you know these guys jumped out of the sky and look what they ha- look what we have here. It was just kind of a testament to the way they went about their their work and and their business and, and honing their craft. With the whole time lapse thing, it's it's given me an idea. I'll get. Uh, a- Darm McQuana here, our producer and video editor, to do a claymation series of the connect, of the Sedin's career. <laughs> well, <laughs> honestly, our own budget at it. No, no. Honestly, if you did that with their faces, because remember they they were kind of like these oh, yeah. pudgy, cherubic kind of yeah. uh, like like young men from from Sweden, and, and by the end they've got these hard edges to, yeah. to their faces. Yeah. Sliced and, and, cheese and, on their cheekbones. No, yeah, it, yeah exactly. Exactly, and I've always maintained you can tell so much about a player's effort. We're starting to see it with Horvat now yes. too. Uh, a little, he's, uh, his physiology is a little different, obviously, but you know you're starting to see that too. It is astounding looking at those draft photos of the Sinis, yeah. the, the you know the video of them in the stands. You're like, are those the same people? Like it is, it is remarkable. And then of course you see their sons, and you realize that there's definitely their fathers. So, well, it's, it is funny. <laughs> there were a lot of people who really did have trouble telling them apart yeah. at the beginning and then you know as they as they yeah. as differences there all right i think we have to wrap that up i will say after we had ed's uh, visualization thing before one of my favorite things was aforementioned producer Darma Kwana shooting dirty looks at patrick every time he touched the table with his hands which is a no-no probably missed about 15 or 16 of those so thanks to darm doesn't, doesn't that qualify as ambient sound though doesn't that <laughs> the, the intensity well now he has to go edit that out right but he i'm giving him the pass to leave it in so people will get the reference yeah, the beatles had george martin we've, we've got darm <laughs> uh so thanks to everyone for listening thanks to keywestford.com for being a sponsor and we will talk to you guys next week